genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no, you can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. So you might say, all right, this year, we want to be a successful company that grows. That's about me. The reality is, in an uncertain economic climate, a lot of people are worried about how businesses are going to do this year. That's the problem. Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My name is Leanne. I'm a business psychologist. My name is Al. I'm a business owner. And we are here to help you simplify the science of people and create amazing workplace cultures. So today we are talking about editing your ego as a leader. We are. We are talking about leadership and specifically the the number one skill that leaders should develop to be more effective in inspiring employees and elevating performance. So yeah, it is time to drop the ego and start inspiring others. Now, as a marketer, regular listeners know that I'm a marketing nerd. As a marketer, we've kind of learned that this is this is always the best policy. Because if you think about the best marketing campaigns, they're never about the product, they're about the consumer. So kind of every marketing story that really resonates makes the end user the hero and the company or the supplier is kind of like the guide to help the user reach a certain goal. So for example, arguably one of the best campaigns in history is Nike, where every single piece of content is about the user winning at something. If I remember, one of their taglines is, if you have a body, you're an athlete. What an incredible piece of content, piece of marketing. Now, Apple, for example, it doesn't talk about like like IBM does and some of the other things do like, oh, it's got the latest um, Snapdragon iOS. That's probably, I think Snapdragon might be Android, actually. <laughs> but it's got the latest iOS that does this and then 16,000 megapixel camera. What the whole point of Apple is, they show us users being effortlessly cool and more importantly, differently different by using their products. In short, they tell stories about how they guide the user into some kind of goal. And that's what great leaders do. They make the story about the team, not them or the company. Now, this is tough to do because as a leader, you kind of feel like, you know, heavy is the crown and all that. A lot of things are on your shoulders. 
But we want to help you change that. And we want to show you that the single most effective way to get what you want is to help others get what they want. And that's by making them the hero of the story. You may have already guessed just by listening to us that, that this is an episode which I am really passionate about because Leanne's only said about 16 words so far. The reason why this is I'm so passionate about this is because we have on the podcast Dr. J.J. Peterson. He is one half of Story Brand along with Donald Miller. Um, just one of my favorite books. I picked it up about eight years, no, six years ago, I think it was, when it first came out. Absolutely loved it. And so we are going to be talking a lot about story brand, but specifically how it relates to being a leader. So let's just quickly introduce Dr. JJ Peterson. So he's the head of story brand, as I said. He's helped thousands of organizations to clarify their messages in order to grow their business. He holds a PhD in communication, fancy, 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 and has spent over 20 years practicing and teaching communication and in marketing and PR. He's done it for lots of different companies, including non-profits, including profits. He's speaking to thousands of people about creating this clear message and is currently an adjunct professor. I don't know what that means, but I think it, I think it means you're very important in the Vanderbilt University's Owen Graduate School of Management. He's also the co-host of Marketing Made Simple, which is our sibling show on the HubSpot Podcast Network. So you should definitely go and check that out and go and subscribe. So let's go and meet JJ and find out why he's so passionate about the use of story in all aspects of business. My background is all really in the space of story. It, I look, really looked back. If you looked at my life before I came to StoryBrand, it would kind of on the surface look very eclectic. So I was... Um, I did um, public relations for multi two multinational nonprofits, so worked in both in Mexico and then in uh, eight different countries in Africa and doing community development. So I was telling stories. Then I actually went into improv comedy for a while and I toured around the North America doing improv comedy and then did some acting and directing in Hollywood <laughs> and writing in Hollywood and then decided to go back and get my master's in what was actually theology of story, um, the theology of the arts of television and film, and then began teaching communications at the university level and became dean of students and then ultimately sold a reality television show <laughs> and, uh, and got my PhD in communication and narrative theory and then that ultimately led to me meeting Donald Miller. And then as soon as I went through the StoryBrand framework, I was hooked. I thought everybody in the world needs to see this, know this, understand this. And I've kind of then since then dedicated my life to teaching people how story works, how to create clear communication through using the story framework. And ultimately, that works in for leadership in business, for marketing in business, for anybody who's trying to communicate anything. When you can communicate clearly and effectively, then not only does your life change, but the lives of the people that you're serving do as well. A very cool guest. Um, yeah, really thrilled to have Dr. JJ on the podcast. And I think as well, just really showing, and we've talked about this before, but I think really perhaps demonstrating more than ever like the opportunity there is in collaboration between people and culture leaders and marketing communication leaders. Hopefully that will all become clear in this episode. So to help us even more, our second guest is Orly Zewi. 
Oi launched her consulting practice in 2002 to address the growing lack of brand clarity in the emerging digital age. She builds the DNA of startup brands and establishes messaging that quickly connects founders with their ideal customer so they can scale in months instead of years. She's a thought leader. She holds an MBA in strategic design. And she's also the author of her book, Ready Launch Brand, The Lean Marketing Guide for Startups. It was published in May 2021 and quickly made it to the number one spot on Amazon. Let's meet Orly. My name is Orly Zewi. I'm a brand architect and your facilitator of Lightbulb Moments. I help um, my clients really answer two key questions. Who am I? Who are they? Uh, who am I as a brand? Who am I in terms of, you know, what, what's my vision, mission, and also really kind of get clear on my pitch, my elevator pitch, so that I can connect with the people who actually need what I do uh, and do it in a very succinct way because the goal of the work that I do is to help you cut through the noise. So please forgive us for the slight marketing slant on this, but it all will become clear because this marketing is communication and leadership is communication. Anyways, so these are incredible guests, but first, it's that time of the week. It's the News Roundup. Hear the jingle. What do you got, Leah? Oh, I'm so pleased to be back. It feels like a couple of weeks since we've done a News Roundup. <laughs> um, I am very excited to tell you, Al. Mm-hmm. We have a new word. New word alert. Fun employment. Fun employment. Fun employment. <laughs> okay. So yeah, thank you to Lorna King, which is your bestie, Al, isn't it, on, uh, on hey, LinkedIn. Um, so I saw her post celebrating her last day of fun employment. So fun employment is a period of time where individuals decide to enjoy their free time that comes either with being unemployed until they find a new job or when they're between jobs. Uh, apparently, it was actually coined back in 2007 and eight in the Great Recession. So I either missed that memo or it's having a bit of a, we're reclaiming it, uh, given the current, exactly, revival. Um, so yeah, millions of workers lost their jobs. So I um, decided to participate in some fun employment. So typically people will participate in leisure activities such as traveling, volunteering or socializing. And it's all about the philosophy of don't worry about being jobless. We've got savings. We've got time. Um, let's just enjoy the break. I really like that. It's like a different slant on things. I mean, I think we're, if we're not careful, we just do take life a bit too seriously. And, um, you know, that the whole between jobs thing is just just a, too much of a cliche these days so fun employment i absolutely love it me too um so something else uh, this week um, unless you've been living under a rock you'll know about the roller coaster that twitter has been through the last six months mm-hmm. um if you haven't head back to our episodes uh, on the truth behind the twitter layoffs back from november 2022 i will leave a link so news from this week is that Twitter has a new chief executive in the shape of Linda Yaccarino. She's an American advertising executive who until two weeks ago was the chair of global advertising and partnerships at NBC Universal. Word is Linda will focus mainly on operations while Elon Musk will focus on product design and new technologies. She tweeted this week that she's long been inspired by Elon's vision to create a bright future and is excited to help bring this vision to Twitter and transform the business together. But she's also excited about the paycheck. I bet she is as well. Yeah, she starts in six weeks. Linda, good luck. Godspeed. And we look forward to having you on the podcast very soon. <laughs> Come on, Linda. But of course, it's not just Twitter that has big news this week. It's been a big week in the UK. Not only 
did we host the Eurovision Song Contest on behalf of Ukraine, which is really cool. We also crowned our new king, King Charles III's coronation weekend. Saw lots of street parties. The coronation concert was pretty good, although a very smooth-faced Lionel Richie performance was a bit odd. <laughs> um, and a somewhat sheepish sheepish Prince Harry shuffling into Westminster Abbey there. Um, but yeah, what does this have to do with people and culture? Well, this week, there is new research that has found the number of people still working over the age of 70 has increased by 61% in a decade. And of course, King Charles is one of those people having taken the throne at the age of 74. So Restless, the digital community, which offers advice to older workers, found that a total of 446,000 people over the age of 70 were in employment or self-employed in 2022. That is 169,000 more than 10 years ago. So Sky News spoke with Stuart Lewis, who is CEO of Restless, who said that the increase of older people in the workplace could be driven by a number of factors, both positive and negative. On the positive side, it could be that people are looking to maintain social connections, maintain a sense of purpose, contribute positively to the community. But the increase could also be attributed to the rising cost of living um, and pressures the over 70s feel uh, to maintain work and their pension savings while they can. We actually had a really interesting conversation on the podcast with um, Carrie Cardinelli, who is SVP at Modern Elder Academy. So if you're interested in hearing more about older people in the workplace, go and check it out. But yes, regular listeners will know that we quote loads of research on why developing your leadership skills is one of the most important and impactful things you can do as a business leader. But what is the number one leadership skill you should develop? Well, recent research backs up Randstad's thoughts with three in four employees seeing effective communication as the number one leadership attribute. Yet less than one in three employees feel like their leaders communicate effectively. So this week, we're here to guide you through what it takes to improve your communication skills to have more impact. The key is to take your ego out of it. So let's just start with the problem, okay? So the biggest problem of being a leader is you almost certainly have to spin lots and lots of different plates. And I'm talking business owner, leader, whatever, you, whatever you're doing, if you are leading people, you've got a lot on your mind. The temptation is immediately is just to offload those. The other thing is that those problems become so big that they kind of get get welded to your own ego where you feel like the biggest thing I've got to do is grow this business over the next six months. So what it means is if you're not careful, the problems that you think you have always almost certainly revolve around you but the thing is you're not the only one with a lot of things in your kind of this mental inbox jj peterson pointed out that we now have actually more messages than we ever have before so with everything we have going on in our lives and in the world people are receiving between three and five thousand commercial messages a day just commercial messages. That's not family messages. That's not emails at work. Three to 5,000 commercial messages a day. We are overwhelmed with information at any given moment. The in, and so in order to break through that noise, you have to communicate effectively. So our other guest, Orly, agrees and used the example of Times Square before explaining how not to be able to break through this noise is often why businesses fail. If you were to stand in the middle of Times Square, you would literally be surrounded by more than 200 messages. And the interesting thing that I have learned over the years is that we connect with the messages that mean something to us. Um, and so out of those 200 messages, maybe you'll see five and maybe you'll remember two. Um, and so that gives you a sense of kind of as brands, we are all standing in the middle of Times Square. We're all trying to cut through the noise, hoping to be heard. You can't do that if you're unclear 
about who you are, what you do, and who needs it. And as it turns out, the number one reason that startups fail is there's no market need. And that's because so often companies, you know, founders don't take the time to figure out if, in fact, somebody needs what they're doing. Are they are they actually solving the right problem for the right client? Well, he explains that we connect with the messages that mean something to us. But with so many, 12,000 a day, how do we even begin to narrow it down? As JJ explains, our brains are pretty good at filtering information. In fact, it's a matter of survival. Our brains are actually designed to keep us alive. That's kind of the primary purpose of our brains is to keep us alive. And the way that our brains keep us alive really is two primary things. It helps us. Our brain is trying to always look for information. This is the first thing, information that helps us survive and thrive. And the second thing is our brain is trying to not burn calories to understand that information. Let me explain both of those really quickly. So when you and I, say, walk into a Starbucks or a coffee shop, we know where the counter is, we know where the bathrooms are, and we can see if there's empty seats. Our brain instantly does that. It kind of focuses. Like if somebody walked into a coffee shop, I could say to them in the first second, where do you buy coffee and where's the exit? And they'd be able to just point immediately. Now, if I said to them, how many tiles are in the ceiling? They wouldn't know. How many chairs are in this coffee shop? They wouldn't know. How many different beans are in that jar over there? How many scones do they have? We don't know that information because our brain does not want to keep the information, does not immediately directly contribute to our survival and thriving. Because if we had to process every piece of information that was coming at us at any given minute, we'd never move. Ever. You would sit in one place and process every piece of information. So our brain goes, don't need that, don't need that, don't need that. What do I need in order to survive and thrive? And you have to know immediately. The second thing the brain does to keep us alive is basically at any given moment, your brain has a limited number of thinking calories in it. And as the harder you think, the deeper you think, the, the, those calories deplete in your brain. And that's why you have to like stand up every 90 minutes and walk around or you start daydreaming. That's actually a survival mechanism. You don't want to start thinking about stuff. The average human daydreams 30% of the day. It's a survival mechanism. So basically your brain is says, I don't want to have to think hard because if I think too hard, I'm going to burn all my thinking calories. And if, if an emergency situation comes up, I'm going to die. <laughs> so our brain is just in that place all the time. Subconsciously, we are looking for information that helps us survive and thrive. And we are doing trying to do so in such a way that doesn't burn any calories. So I understand what all he's saying in terms of all of these messages vying for our attention. And I understand what JJ's saying in terms of this makes sense, what how our brains operate in terms of our evolution, our fight or flight response. But what does it mean in the business world? What does it actually mean for leaders? As a leader in your organization, your people are getting bombarded with information all the time, whether it's emails, whether it's just the the details in their office, whether it's commercial messages that are coming their way, whether it's family information, they are getting bombarded. And if you are communicating in such a way that does not actually contribute to their survival and thriving, and you're doing it in a complicated way so that they have to burn too many calories to understand, they are literally designed to tune you out. 
their brain tunes out your information. It's done because they're so it's kind of extreme, but they're basically like, if I sit through this presentation and pay attention to every detail, I might die. <laughs> like that's kind of our brain is subconsciously kind of doing that, right? It's like kind of doing through going through the process of saying, if I pay attention to this, I could die later. So I'm going to turn off. I'm going to day drink during this presentation. So when we understand that people are actually designed to tune us out, what we have to begin then doing is say, how do I break through that noise and that clutter? And the way you do that is by communicating in a way that, again, contributes to people's survival and thriving and does so in a way that they don't have to burn any calories. The most effective way to do that is through story. I have definitely been in a presentation and wanted to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think, and, and this, this is really, really interesting because you say you want to die, but, you know, we use phrases like die of boredom. You know, we, yeah. we already use this kind of information, this kind of a, these yeah. kind of like phrases and stuff. So I think the thing is that when people make it about themselves rather than the actual audience, then they're just boring. We all, we all know that one person who you go and you go, oh God, Derek's not going to be there again, is he? God, he always talks about his bloody dog or his... And again, in terms of phrases, what JJ was saying about calories, that I have not got the energy for you today. Yes. Now, what I really love is that JJ talks about wrapping things up into a story because let's be honest, when we are watching a film, an hour and well, two hours, two hours, 20, isn't Titanic about three hours or something? Yeah. Um, Lord of the Rings, I'm sure is 19 and Six a half hours. days long. <laughs> but the whole point is people are engaged through the whole thing because of this story, because it follows this framework. Lord of the Rings, perfect example. If I've not watched it, I've not read it, but I know people who absolutely love it and it does follow this thing. So before you dismiss this as too simplistic, in other words, oh, well, the, the way to take my ego out of it is tell a story. Just think about some of the biggest successes in history because they kind of started off as very, very short stories. So JFK said back in, was it 61, 62? Um, Before this decade is out, we will put a man on the moon and bring him back safely. That's a mini story. You're not saying I'm going to put a man on the moon. We're saying we're going to put a man on the moon. Amazon, they want to be the Earth's biggest store. Now, I understand Amazon has fallen from grace a little, but but just think about the idea of the story. It's really simple to be Earth's biggest store. You understand that. Google originally started off, don't be evil. In those three words, it told a story about its brand, about what it's going to do for its users. And now, I say this with, with, a, uh, with a pinch of salt, Trump, Donald Trump, Make America Great Again. Now, we're going to come back to Donald Trump in a second. And I just want to be clear that none of this will we talk about. We will be talking about politics, American politics. It's just for the example's sake. So don't turn off if you are, if you are not a Trump fan. These are just short stories that wrap up important messages into a story with a meaning that doesn't pollute it with your own ego. Here's JJ on why stories are so important. Stories help us make sense of information and the world. So in essence, you know, like there's, I just kind of mentioned as I was telling my story is really, I told you pieces of my story that gave it meaning, but I did 500 other things in the meantime as well, right? Like I was on, I was in a Missy Elliott music video. I was on the office. I did all these things that I just kind of leave out because I'm focusing the meaning of my journey into one kind of thread, one story that helps make sense for people. Why I'm even talking on this podcast, right? I have 20 years of experience 
learning and understanding story. And now I help other people with story. That's the meaning. That's kind of the thread of my story. And the reason why, and I used story to distill that information, my 50,000 things I've done in my life down to information that actually is meaningful to the audience that I'm about to speak to. Orly agrees that stories are important and breaks it down further by explaining the power of words. The words are critical. Again, it's because it really comes back to what I said earlier, which is you use the wrong words and nobody hears you. You use the right words and all of a sudden you're at the top of the line, right? You're at the, at the, the head of the line. And so I will tell you then when I changed my, and you know, I'm going to go back to LinkedIn since that's, you know, the, that's the B2B space and that's really who I work with are B2B, uh, uh, companies. And what I have found, what I found was when I changed my, my title to facilitator of light bulb moments, I literally was getting, you know, connection requests from from qualified leads. I was getting opportunities to speak, to be a mentor, to do all kinds of things. Just based on that title, I literally had somebody contact me for a project just because the title stood out. So I know the power of words. And I know that when, and I will also say one other thing around words, less is always better. So, I'm hopefully you're on board that the easiest way to remove your ego as a leader is to tell a story that makes the listener, in other words, your team, the hero. Now, JJ goes on to explain that stories are formulaic and that all stories share the same seven elements. If you've read StoryBrand, which I think a lot of people have, you'll know what I'm talking about. The clue here is the highly edited story, because that's the best way to communicate. For example, nursery rhymes, children's stories. If you've ever read Aesop's Aesop's Fables, uh, they're all edited messages that usually convey an important lesson that the author thinks the listener should hear, but isn't about the author. It's about usually a fictional person who goes through some kind of adversity. But you've got so much in your plate as a leader. How the hell are you going to create a story around everything? Well, as I mentioned before, JJ has a simple formula. Actually, the formula was developed, even began to be developed all the way back with Aristotle and Plato in poetics. They would argue that if you wanted to move people to action, if you wanted to even change culture, the best way to do it was through story. And so they began to say, then how do you tell stories in a way that moves people to action? And those formulas, you know, there's lots of different formulas out there, but they've ultimately been refined over and over and over through history and are continuing to be refined in movies today in the box office. And so that if you break story down, down to its most basic form, there are really seven elements in every good story. And I'll just say them quickly, um, but it is that there is a character in a story, that's number one, that encounters a problem. So they experience something that gets in the way of what they want. Then they have to meet a guide who helps them overcome the problem, like a Yoda or a Gandalf. The guide then gives them a plan that plan then calls them to action, that ultimately there's stakes in the story that have to result in success or failure. Those are the seven plot points that every story has to hit. When you understand how story works, I'm giving a very high level view here and then we can kind of dive in if you want, but when you understand how story works, you understand that then those seven elements are what you need to hit in every piece of communication that you're giving. 
You need to understand what it is that your audience, the people you're talking to want. They're the hero of the story. You are not. So they're the hero of the story. They are encountering problems in their life. You then want to come in and position yourself as the guide who helps them overcome their problems, give them a very clear plan, a path forward to overcome their problems. What is their call to action? What is the thing they need to do? And then ultimately cast a vision for what life is like if they do that and have a happy ending, success, or don't do that and they they miss out and have failure. What I use those elements with organizations to help them refine their communication to say, all right, if you're trying to communicate to your staff, they are the hero of their own story. You are not the hero of their story. <laughs> so you don't need to tell your story to them. You actually need to tell their story to them. You need to invite them into the story that they get to be a hero. So you need to clearly communicate what it is that they want. You need to be able to articulate what problems they're experiencing, how you can help them overcome that, how you, what's the plan for them to do that? What are they supposed to do next? And then cast a vision for success and failure. Like if I'm saying to anybody, hey, we need to hit our fourth quarter goals or we're not going to be a hundred million dollar company this year. That's where a lot of leaders come in and say like, all right, guys, we need to get going because we need to hit a hundred million dollars. We're going to be a hundred million dollar company. How at all does that contribute to their survival and thriving? How, what, how does that overcome a problem for them? Have you given them a clear plan to do it? Have you cast a vision for what life is like if they do? Do they know what action they're supposed to take to get there? Or are you just going, rah, rah, everybody, we need to hit a hundred million dollars. This is absolute gold. So we have the formula, the hero, the problem, the guide, the plan, the call to action, avoiding failure and securing success. I joke daily that employees are looking for a hero. Um, But as JJ explains, leaders aren't the hero. Our employees are. All of us are living our own story. And in reality, we're the hero of our own stories. I'm the hero of my story. You're the hero of your story. We're the main character in our movie. If you as a leader or you as a business come to me and position yourself as the hero of the story, now we are actually in competing stories, right? We're not in the same story. So I immediately begin to distrust you because you have to win in your story to be the hero. And I have to win in my story to be the hero. So if we're both trying to win and I can sense that in you, then I am immediately adversarial to you because I'm suspicious. I'm going, wait, what are they trying to get from me in order so that they can win, right? We need to not position ourselves as the hero of our story. We need to position ourselves as the guide in the story. We are the guide and the people that we're speaking to are the hero. What does it look like to be the guide? A guide offers empathy to the hero's story. So offers empathy to say, um, I understand the problems you're experiencing, but also authority. I have the ability to help you overcome those problems. Okay, that's kind of how you position yourself as a guide. The only time you ever should talk about yourself is with empathy and authority. One of my favorite moments in the interview is when JJ took a moment to break down how clearly defining the hero of the story as the audience massively affected the 2016 Trump-Clinton election. Again, I'm going to reiterate, neither Leah nor I nor JJ are talking about the politics here, just the campaign. 
What's interesting is once he became president, he really did become the hero of his own story, and which is why I think he lost his second term. But when he was on the campaign trail, he did not position himself as the hero. He positioned the American people as the hero. It was make America great. That was his slogan, right? And it was these short, quick sound bites that were easy to communicate and showed how he was going to make other people's life better. So he immediately did make America great. He would go to Iowa and he'd be like, Iowa is the best state in the United States. This is the best pig farmers in America. I'm going to become a pig farmer myself. You know, he's like going through this whole thing. He did a really good job. And he's like, we're going to clean the swamp out of Washington. Like he had some catchphrases, but every catchphrase really went after the American people and made them the hero. In contrast, Hillary Clinton's campaign slogan was, I'm with her. Literally, I'm with her. And the reality is, again, not trying not to be too political, just looking at this on a surface level of communication. Hillary was way more qualified, had way more experience, should have walked into that White House, did not have the same controversy, level of controversy, and yet she didn't. And there's a, I think there's a couple of reasons. One, her slogan was, I'm with her. It made her the hero of the story, not the American people. Then you go, went to her website, and I believe the first thing you saw was, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was somewhere around 174, 117 reasons to vote for Hillary Clinton. 117 reasons to vote for her, to help her win. If they would have given us three reasons why voting for Hillary helps me, changes everything. Instead of I'm with her, changed it to she's with us, changes everything. And I really genuinely believe those small, simple changes would have won her the presidency because she didn't lose by a lot. It's such a great example. And I absolutely love that simple change that JJ talks about that, that Hillary Clinton could have made that instead of I'm with her, she's with us. It really genuinely gives me goosebumps, that kind of thing. And I'm not just sucking up to my hero, JJ. Um, I've made hero, I've made JJ the hero of the hero of my story, haven't I? <laughs> but I'm not just sucking up to him, but it, it really is. It's just like, oh my God, that simple change just would have changed everything. And oh God, I love it. I love it. JJ for president. <laughs> but I think that's, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, often we look at politics if for examples of, of effective leadership, not necessarily positive or negative leadership, but effective leadership. Um, and that's why we can often apply it in business as well. So what steps can we take as leaders to develop our communication skills? And how can we use the power of storytelling to inspire our employees and drive lasting change? Well, we have five areas that you can focus on. And the first is values. So going back to the Ransted report we mentioned earlier, results show that more than ever, the workforce wants to be part of an organisation that provides an inclusive and diverse workplace. And importantly, one whose values align with theirs and a business that has a clear social and environmental commitment. So in fact, 72% of employees consider an organisation's values and purpose important. And 36% said they would not work for a business whose values did not align with theirs. All the agrees and recommends values as the first place to start. The first step is always who am I? 
And by that, I mean, do you understand very clearly what you do and, and what it means and what, why it matters, right? So that gets to the core value, uh, the value prop, what makes you different from comp- your competition. Um, and then that helps you really look around you and say, gosh, is there really a need for what I do? Um, and, and then the key thing is once you understand who you are, and by the way, it's really hard to sell something if you yourself don't understand what, what you're selling. So that's why I always start with that why. The why is really critical. And so I have a whole process to really unpack that. And it's not just, oh, yeah, you know, I sell shoes. No, um, you know, or I'm a coach and I sell coaching um, uh, coaching services. It's really about... It's really about what is behind all that. Like, why are you a leadership coach and what kind of leaders do you work with? Because I've actually worked with quite a few uh, leadership coaches. And what I discover each time is, you know, a coach means nothing. That's really generic language. And so part of what I help leaders do is use the kind of language that will help them cut through the noise. That's why I don't call myself a brand consultant. I call myself your facilitator of light bulb moments. We talked about this quite a lot on the employer brand episode, um, that it really is about differentiating yourself from your competition. And I think now as an employer, as a business owner, understanding my values, my why, and communicating them effectively is a really important part of, of attracting talent today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so many studies that show that uh, particularly Gen Z and millennials will actively switch from, let's say, telecom carriers or um, from brands who don't align with their personal values, which to us Gen Xers and boomers, you know, who tend to tend to go for the cheapest in, in traditionally, quite kind of counterintuitive. But all he goes on to explain that it's not that having great values is not just good for your employees, it's good for business. 2017, there was a, a, a communications research study, just again, of Americans. So I, and what was interesting is that this is consumers, right? 87% said they would patronize the business if it was consistent with their values, and 76% would not if it didn't. And also 89%, that's almost 9 out of 10, consumers said they were willing to switch to a comparable brand that was more aligned with their values. That is our first recommendation. Focus on your values. Understand what is important to you, how this can resonate with your customers, and so importantly, how this can also resonate with your employees. The second thing here is brand alignment. Now, this might sound a bit of a corporate dull dull phrase, but it's not. The whole point is brand, and we're not talking fancy logos, we're talking about Jeff Bezos' definition of brand, what people say about it when you're not around, There are only really two people who talk about you behind your back. It's your customers and it's your employees. So you've got a brand of both, really. But you're in trouble if they both don't tell good stories. Yeah, I think there are a couple of metrics here that can serve as a a telltale sign if you're not sure if your internal and external brand are aligned. And I think that's customer retention and employee retention. So if your customer retention is really high, but your employee retention is really low, you know, you're losing employees, then it's quite likely your brands are not aligned. And if there's anything that we cannot stand, you know, it's incongruence. And the trouble is, as businesses grow, this misalignment can easily happen. And often as leaders, it's quite hard for us to see it, as Ollie explains. I'm thinking of a, of a, um, a summer day camp that I rebranded several years ago and they lost their why, right? They, and what, what happens, and this is very common, uh, and they've been around since the fifties. 
it, they started something that they really believed in, and it was a gold standard of day of day camps, summer day camps. And as the competition grew, instead of kind of hunkering down on the reason they started, they started to respond to the competition. And that's part of how you lose your way. You, 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 you lose sight of why you started this. And so when we did the rebrand, and this was kind of, this was really, I have to say, an amazing process because one of the things I did is I read dozens of letters from their campers and just amazing endorsements of how this place like changed their life, made them a better person, a better human, you know, better human being, a better parent. I mean, it was incredible. And, um, and so what happened was during our rebrand, the rebrand process, what I discovered is that all of their messaging had started to move around the lake. I mean, it's in their name and, and they have a huge lake. I forget how many acres it is. And the reason they really send their kids there is not because of the lake, but because it's a place where they get to, they get to be kids and grow and learn and, and in a safe environment. And the lake is important because they happen to have the top swim program on, in the, uh, in Northeast PA. And, and so, at the end of that process, the tagline is, this is the place where small kids do big things. Going back to what I said about, you know, we're all standing in the middle of Times Square. It's that idea that if it doesn't align with what we care about, we literally don't see it. So now there's a picture, there's a, there's a, a symbolized, you know, image of a child literally jumping off what could be a pier, a pool, right? Because the whole idea is that they're learning to do big things and swimming is a big part of that experience. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast, Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. It is, of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. But that is not the only reason we're recommending it, is it, Al? No, it's not. No, we've recommended it to lots of people. If you look at any of our YouTube comments, it won't take you long, there's about 20 of them, <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend Phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod. Well, on Nudge, you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips. It's going to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, and grow a business. Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to Yeah, no, we say copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. Employees do not go into your office to enjoy the ping pong table and the comfort chairs and the break room. They go in for experiences and for growth and to learn and develop and be inspired. And it's the same thing. I think what's so funny about this is this is exactly the realization that Al and I came to and why we actually started Oblong, our business together, because I was working on a consumer research marketing project. I was working on an employee engagement project and we were both doing surveys to generate insights from me from employees, Al from customers, to then create communications and interventions that were going to engage people more in the organization and what it was trying to do. Fun fact, I, uh, I did a fostering campaign for um, a local authority in the UK 
Um, and um, the actual, the whole tagline for the campaign came from one thing that a lady said when I interviewed her about being a foster parent. I could never have come up with that. And by the way, I did disclose that it came from the uh, from the research, not from my mind. It made me cry that campaign, by the way. It was Which very, very I took powerful. as a win. <laughs> in a good way, yeah, in a good way. But yeah, so in the, in the same way that we ask our customers, we have to ask our employees to be able to understand and communicate our brand effectively. Customer brand and employer brand are fundamentally intertwined. I Sometimes I, you know, I, I wonder if it's a chicken, you know, it's a chicken egg conversation, right? Because you have to have a strong employer brand to get top talent. And it's your people. And this is this is another thing that's really shifted, I think, especially since the pandemic, that we're realizing that our the greatest asset of any company is the people. You know, it's not the products because who's making the products, who's selling the products, who's promoting the products. You know, it's not some nameless, faceless thing. It's people that you have that you have contact with. <clears throat> and what you know, what I have seen is that that kind of um understanding of who we are from an internal perspective, if you can build an employer brand that makes people feel um, like they're heard, they're respected, um, there's opportunities for them to grow. And this really started with millennials, I would say. Uh, it's not enough. The money is not the only, the end all, end all of everything, right? I mean, money, of course, matters, but it also matters. Are you in a place that's also aligned with your values and you see a way that, you know, where you feel proud of being there. And happy employees are also happy customer relationship people. Because when we are, right, when we're happy, we tell the world about it. And believe me, when you're unhappy, you tell the world about that too, right? So so I think the two are so intricately um, in, entwined. I really don't see how you can separate one from the other. Our third recommendation is authenticity. So if you listen to our watercolor episode, you'll remember that all of our experts agreed when it comes to effective communication as a leader, authenticity is critical. And I think this is a shift that we're seeing in the workforce. Research has shown that 79% of employees will quit their job due to a lack of appreciation from leaders. Now, we have said that as a leader, you shouldn't be the hero. And that might sound counterintuitive to you because heroic leadership was the dominant theory at one point. That point being the 1940s. But still, you know, it was based on on two principles. One, that leaders are born, not made. And two, that great leaders arise when there is a need for them to be great. So words like charismatic, confident, dominant come to mind. And often the leaders that we work with can worry that they can't be this kind of leader. You know, perhaps they're more introverted than extroverted is a typical thing that I hear a lot. And the truth is authenticity, which is truly caring about your employees, being empathetic and adopting more servant leader style behaviours are more effective, particularly when it comes to change and transformation. And as JJ explains, being a great storyteller as a leader doesn't require an innate set of characteristics. It requires a formula. There's so much research out there that just shows like that narrative communication Narrative marketing, narrative leadership outperforms other styles of leadership. So that's one is that it just the the fact is good storytellers move people to action in big ways that other people can't. And we just kind of know that even anecdotally, but that's just true. But what then people think is that storytelling is all about charisma, 
and about being funny and about all these things. So it feels, I think, a little overwhelming to be like, well, now I just have to be more funny and entertaining. That's not it. And when you're writing a screenplay and trying to tell a story, there's actually maybe like 32 to 36 plot points that you have to hit. So it all feels to me, I think when we talk about story, it starts to feel very daunting, overwhelming. That's not who I am. I have to be naturally funny or naturally charismatic. And people don't realize that actually story is formulaic. And when you understand how story works um, and it's broken down into its most simple form, uh, and, and granted, the seven elements that I mentioned is, I would say, its most simple form. Uh, I mean, some people would say you could actually break it down to uh, three elements, problem, solution, success. <laughs> that is a very short story, <laughs> but it's all like it's formulaic. JJ went on to explain that being charismatic or entertaining is part of the hero psyche, but again reminded us leaders, we should not be the hero we should be the guide. JJ also uses the concept of storytelling to help build self-awareness in leaders. There really are four characters in every story, four primary characters in every story. There's the victim, the villain, the hero, and the guide. So those four characters exist in almost every story. And the reason they exist in every story is because they exist in all of us. At any given moment, we can play in our own lives the villain, the victim, the hero, or the guide. Now, there's some things you need to understand about those four characters. The victim in a story always pretty much, if they stay a victim throughout, not a, a, a victim that transforms becomes a hero, but the victim who stays a victim throughout only exists in the story to make the villain look bad and the hero look good. That's it. They're either giving or taking energy from the other characters in the story. That's it. A good story will never be written about a victim who just stays a victim. That's it just won't not inspiring anything. I mean, we can have a depressing, maybe European film that deals with somebody who stays a victim, but that's about it. Like in America, we, we won't do, they have to transform, but if they stay the same, a good story will never be written about a victim, a villain and a hero. Interestingly enough, often both share a backstory of pain, the similar backstory of pain, meaning they both lost their daughter or they both lost their wife or they both were, you know, mocked as children or something like that. The villain and, and you see that in villains where they have like a scar on their face there. Even if we don't know their backstory, we know they are they've been through a hard life because if there's a scar or something like that. Villains work to revenge the, that pain. They were pained. They had pain caused to them. And so they are trying to cause pain to other people. The hero ultimately also experienced the same backstory of pain, but works to redeem it, works to redeem that pain. And then the hero, when the hero actually has won their own battle, then they kind of elevate to the next level of guide and they help other people win the day. They no longer have to prove themselves. They no longer have to win. They just help other people win. When I began to understand those four different characters in story and began to see that like, oh, I, I play all four of those. I play all four of those 
sometimes in an hour. <laughs> I can be a victim, immediately turn into a villain, then redeem the pain with becoming a hero and then move into the guide space. <laughs> I, you know, I could see myself and I began to see there in the times that I play victim in my own story. Now, there are real victims in the world. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you play the victim. When I play the victim, I'm never going to write a good story with my life. And I'm never going to do it for other people. I only am sucking energy from people. And that gets old very quickly. And in those moments where I turn into a villain, what I'm doing is I'm actually causing other people pain based on my own pain. But when I I can in my own life move into that hero and then ultimately guide role, not only do I live a better story, but I help make the world a better place because of it. And so when I just like kind of began to understood that stand that and try to live my life more in the hero of my own story, redeeming the pain and then ultimately moving into the guide where I help other people. My passion is about helping other people move into those spaces as well, grow their business, change their life and become kind of the hero of their own story and then ultimately help other people as well. I mean, my I'm or I'm going to go and, and write this down in my coaching book after this. I think this would be a fantastic coaching exercise to do with the leaders I work with in terms of, you know, as, as JJ said, we, we play all of these roles at some point in our life. Um, you know, and I think that in terms of being the victim, I'm thinking of people that are saying things like, Oh, well, you know, COVID ruined everything because everything was great before COVID and now having to deal with the, all these shifting expectations about we want to work from home or work hybrid. I think it's the same when we think about burnout, you know, and, and the leaders that, that have been through burnout. And, and as you said, you know, JJ trying to cause that pain to other people to work the long hours while I had to do it. So why shouldn't you do it? Whereas the leaders that are really inspiring people are those that are trying to change that experience of work and eradicate that negative experience of work. So I think, yeah, I challenge you leaders, if you're listening, do some reflection tonight and just write down if you can think of some point of the last week, the last month when you have played the villain, the victim, the hero and the guide. And I think that'd be a really interesting point of reflection to maybe learn where there might be times where you're you're accidentally playing or unconsciously playing a role that isn't very effective for you as a leader. Um, and perhaps also some examples of what is more effective behavior. So our third recommendation is to practice authenticity as a leader. Think back to your why. If you've lost it, try and try and rekindle where that inspiration came from to start your business. And as JJ says, think about the role you're currently playing as a leader. Are you the guide or are you accidentally being the villain? So number four is all about this idea of culture. People think culture is very complex. And, you know, they go, right, we're going to go away. The leadership team are going to go away for two weeks and we're going to come up with all these core values and stuff. The fact is that great culture is really, really simple, as are great stories. Remember when JJ was talking about simple stories with one aim? Finding Nemo, you've got to find that fish. Born Identity, Discovery's Past. Wizard of Oz, Destroy the Witch. Although, again, another film I haven't seen, but uh, you're a big fan of it, Leanne. Oh, that's a good film. Yeah, it's a good film, that. Now, these don't have five or ten or twenty different missions. They might have lots of plot points, but that's technical. They don't have it. They've just got one. And all he recommends you simplify your values into just one core value. This is what's going to become your North Star. If you do not have a visionary leader who is you know, walking the walk and not just talking the talk. And it's not just about having a whole wall filled with core values, which I always, I have to say, that always, that always strikes me as so odd because how many core values, you only have one. 
You don't have 20 core values. That's just how you do business. I mean, customer relationship, unless you're the Ritz-Carlton, where that's inbred in their DNA of their brand, or Nordstrom's, which is a large um, um, a company here, uh, you know, in, in, in the U.S., you know, customer service is their brand. That's what they're known for. But otherwise, it's just, you know, if you don't have good customer service, you go out of business. So that's the other piece that this whole process that I was telling you about that my, my branding process also uncovers your core value. And that's kind of like your North Star. Yes, 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 Ollie. Absolutely. I think it's, I'm the same. It, 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 it amuses me when people have a wolf of like 10 values. And that's a lot for people to remember. So typically people will cling on to, onto one or two or maybe three. But like you said, values are nothing unless they're lived. And as a leadership team, and you should be doing this in consultation with your employees anyway, but if you absolutely do want to start this process on your own, then at least try and look at the behaviors that show people how to live that value as the brilliant example that Ollie gives there of of Nordstrom. Yes, and I've heard some strange stories around Nordstrom um, where apparently someone took back tyres and they got a refund for their tyres and no questions asked and Nordstrom don't even sell tyres. But what I like about this is that it is a core value but it also allows for sort of innovation to a certain extent, flexibility. You're not saying that we only refund, our core value is we refund anything we sell. Their core value for Nordstrom was we refund anything the customer's not happy with. And so Ollie talks a bit more about this idea of allowing your core value to allow people to innovate, to ensure that it underpins everything, but also allows this culture to kind of live and breathe. I have to say, this is one of my soapboxes because... You cannot have innovation if you don't have a culture where you're allowed to make mistakes. And so what people focus on, you know, whatever the latest trend is, like everyone wants to be entrepreneurial. They want to have a culture of innovation. They want to be the next Apple. You know, I mean, and and not to go too far down that path, but, you know, it's you have to you have to create a culture where people are allowed blue sky time, as they do at Google, by the way so that they can come up with ideas and you have to create an environment where people are allowed to discuss those ideas and not worry about being shut down. And a lot of corporations, you know, just don't have that kind of structure. Again, I think we're talking here about psychological safety, about making sure that workloads actually facilitate time to innovate and create. Um, you can't just say, oh, we have a culture of innovation that has to fundamentally drip down into not only your style of leadership, but into your operations. And I think that's a big one. If you are going to, you know, embrace innovation as part of your culture, mistakes are going to happen and you have to be okay with that and manage that and this is actually one of the few times that i will quote elon musk as having a good approach to this <laughs> if you read anything about spacex and then the multiple launch failures they have had that is never the focus on the failure the focus of elon musk in his commentary is always on what they've learned and how that's going to inform the next stage of development and in fact, um, Ollie talked then about Google, which I forget. I think they call it 20% time or something they did back in the day. Um, and the idea is that you go off and you do your own thing for 20% of the week. That's where I'm pretty sure Gmail came from that. Uh, Google Reader came from that. Some of the most, well, Google Reader shut down, but some of the most um, like successful parts of Google came from those people who had the core value, don't be evil, which again, slightly contentious in these days, but back in the day it was don't be evil, but the flexibility 
to go out there and try something and just do something without someone saying, why the hell are you spending your time on this bullshit? Absolutely. And that is our fourth recommendation. Culture is a living, breathing thing. Uh, You can't just have values, you need to live them. Our final recommendation is to look for opportunities in operations. As I mentioned before, culture isn't a standalone abstract thing. Culture feeds into into how we think, feel, behave and into how we actually work as well. So our final recommendation is to look for opportunities in operations. What are you already doing from a people and culture perspective that might be more effective if you improve the storytelling behind your employee brand and experience? Only highlights the onboarding process as a good example. You know, here's another example, an onboarding process that's not just here's a bunch of stuff. Good luck. See you later. Right. It's really has to be, you know, thought through. And I think, you know, branding and marketing can also be applied internally. Like we have an, an employer brand. Let's talk about, you know, maybe onboarding could have its own brand and it could have its own process. And then it's, you know, how we we message that out within the company. I mean, there's so many opportunities to kind of elevate these experiences and not just relegate them to, oh, yeah, this onerous thing that we have to do. Because the reality is retraining employees is expensive. I, I believe it's uh, 10% of their um, of their salary. And so you multiply that by 100 employees. That's a lot of money that goes out the door. You know, you don't leave places where you feel valued. You don't leave places where you feel valued. And the reason you feel valued is because someone is making the story about you. Come on, this is just this is just common brand sense. This is what cost. This is how you attract customers. This is how you keep customers by making them feel special. It's exactly. It's not exactly. But it's a very similar transaction between your employees and potential employees. We talk about onboarding, but what about just the actual recruitment process? What happens if you, someone didn't get the job, but you still sent them, I don't know, a little chocolate in the, in the post and said, I'm really sorry you weren't for us, but here's potentially two other companies that might be up your, up your street or something. Oh, nice. I'm yeah, not, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying you should do that, but I'm just thinking, think about the brand, think about what people say, because one, if, if you upset one customer, they'll tell a hundred people, but if you delight a customer, oh my God, if you want to find out what it's like to delight a customer and the potential effects that can have then google cd baby note i think it is just google cd cd baby note and that's all i'm going to say you will see that from one tiny thing they did for a customer they got millions of pounds worth of brand exposure okay i'm stepping down off my soapbox <laughs> i'm done I agree. And I think, again, this is a really good opportunity because I think often business leaders think, oh, I don't really know where to start with this stuff. This is stuff you're already doing in terms yep. of employer brand, in terms of, of how to communicate effectively as a leader, as a business. You're already doing this stuff. And I think it's as simple as, you know, I'm is a really good example. I've worked for organizations, with organizations where it has been, you know, here's your swag. This is your login to the internet. We, you know, look through these 15 videos over the next week and that's your onboarding process. Whereas if you think about, you know, as a customer, if I sign up to like a new CRM platform or a new like coaching platform, I get like an email every week, like, how's it going, Leanne? Here's an extra, here's a little masterclass tip on how to do X, Y, and Z. And how cool would that be is if a new employee, I'm getting a video from the CEO or the MD saying, hey, Leanne, I hope everything is going going well. Here's a little masterclass on how to book time off and what your holiday allowance is and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just, it, it you're already doing it. Just extend what you're already doing to your employees. It really will make the world of difference. It really will. So stop seeing your employees as a cost and start seeing them as an investment. Um, 
oh, put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> T-shirts available from store.truthliesandwork.com. Not really, I haven't put that up. So let's just quickly summarise where we're up to. So the, the five key things that you could be doing right now is, and Leanne, do you want to go number one? Yeah, so number one, clarify your values and try and understand how you can help these resonate with your team. Number two, ensure that your brand is aligned both like from customer point of view and from employer point of view because if one of those people are telling bad stories about you, you can guarantee things are not going to go well for you. Number three, practice authenticity as a leader and maybe try that little coaching exercise that I mentioned. Definitely do that. Number four, just be really clear. You probably only need one core value and the ability for your employees, your teams to slightly deviate in order to satisfy that core value. And number five, look for opportunities in things you're already doing, particularly if they're things that you're already doing for customers that maybe you could do for employees a little bit better, such as onboarding. Right. So you probably, if you've got this far, you're listening to this, there's probably a part of you going, mm, well, this sounds really cool, but it sounds difficult. It sounds like I'm going to, I'm going to mess it up in some way. Look, the problem is that most leaders and companies are so wrapped up in themselves that they start talking about increasing revenue. How do we reduce costs? How do we get every last drop out of employees by increasing productivity? They probably don't say every last drop, but I'm sure they'll say, how do we increase pro- pro- uh, productivity? When we say it like this, it's clear why our teams aren't as excited about that goal as we are as leaders. So let's stop worrying about growing to a 10 million pound company. Let's stop worrying about trying to get uh, productivity tools and saying we're going to introduce Slack so that people spend less time on email so we can actually pay them less or make more money from them. Let's start worrying about what is actually worrying them. Let's start helping our employees get what they want. So I think, you know, the, the quick tips that I would say if, as a communicator in leadership is understand anytime you're trying to move people to action, to do anything, whether that's to fill out a new um, goal sheet or to get excited about a new campaign or to just launch the new year, what you have to realize is if you actually want to communicate in a way that contributes to your audience or your employees' survival and thriving. What you have to do is understand, start by saying, what do they want in this context? So like, let's say I'm getting ready to launch the new year, the new year kickoff. What would everybody in this audience want for this new year? And what is the problem that gets in the way for them getting that? And if you can identify those two things right off the bat, that really enters you into a story. So you might say, all right, this year, we want to be a successful company that grows. That's about me. So I say this, we want to be a successful company that grows. What then, as part of that, what does my audience want? They want to be secure in their jobs. They want opportunities to grow. And they want to live, build their, the life that they want to live, right? It's a, for their families. That's it. They don't, they don't want, they don't care. The only reason they care if the company is successful is they get to do those first few things. So identifying those and then say, but what is the problem that gets in the way of them getting that, that security? The reality is in an uncertain economic climate, a lot of people are worried about how businesses are going to do this year. That's the problem, right? Now, if you identify those two things right at the beginning of your talk, 
the rest of your talk can talk about how this year we are going to overcome that problem together. That's it. If you start, here's what you want, here's the problem, and then the rest of your speech is your plan to overcome that problem. Now you've invited them into a story that they get to be a part of. Essentially, they get to be a part of the mighty brigade who saves the world. Right. That's it. Versus getting up and going, here's our three objectives. Here's our three goals. Everybody's going to have to work their ass off to get them. And if you don't, you're not getting raises. Uh, okay. Um, <laughs> now I'm suspicious because you're trying to win. You're trying to be a hundred million dollar company. And I know with the profit margins, it's 25%. So you're getting 25 million out of this. And I'm worried about losing my job and not getting a $2,000 promotion, uh, bonus. Okay. Like I'm giving you 50% work because I don't need this, you know, like, and that's where so many people walk in and just come from a position of power and, and try to be the hero. You know, they try to be like Patton out front of the, of the, you know, general Patton out front kind of leading and charging the thing. I, I tend to think of leadership more like Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, right? Let's position it more like I'm actually a little lost myself, not fully, not lost, but I'm actually moving towards something. And I'm going to link arms with you who's missing a brain and you're missing a heart. And we're going to link arms and we're going to go this together. We're all getting something out of this, you know, and that's kind of how when you do that and as a leader, it changes everything. So my biggest tip for all leaders would be whenever you're communicating anything, I don't care if it's an employee review. I don't care if it's company kickoff. I don't care if it's a new strategy or a new um, software system you're implementing. Don't walk up and go, hey, everybody needs to use uh, Slack now. Everybody, We're not communicating on email. Everybody's using Slack. Nope. You walk up and say, you have to understand what do they want? We want to be more clear and effective at communication, and we actually want to cut down the amount of time that we're spending with emails and everything back and forth. But the problem is, da 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 da, da here's how we're going to solve it, and here's how you get to be a part of that. If you can do those first two things, it builds the rest of the story by itself. Oh, my God. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and such, again, such clear example was that, that JJ gives there. And again, I just think as a leader that it's not, it really isn't about you. Like you started this business, but it is no longer about you. If you have staff, you have employees. Um, yeah, you'll be, be the guide. All right. So we've talked about what happens if you get it wrong. Let's just take a moment to think about what it could look like if we get this right. I've been able to work with some of the, uh, really some of the greatest companies in the world, you know, uh, but some of my favorite have been like the Orange County Children's Hospital. <laughs> and we actually worked with them on a campaign for internal communication. They were trying to figure out how do we recruit and maintain employees at the Orange County Children's Hospital. And it came from, you know, and again, before it was like, there's all, everything that they created and talked about was, we are, we're the best hospital for kids. You're going to get this kind of pay package. You're going to da, 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 da. And they ended up changing their campaigns to say, instead of like, join the best, it was join the mighty brigade that protects childhood. And so when you actually, whether you're a janitor, whether you're a doctor, whether you're a nurse, a receptionist, you come to Orange County Children's Hospital to join the mighty brigade and become a defender of childhood. 
And that small switch changed everything for them in recruitment and in retention because they no longer were making their business the hero of the story. They made their customer who that was their employees, their employees were their customers in this context, their audience, and they made them the hero of the story, not the hospital. And when I can go in and help a company who is literally saving the lives of children (laughs) in powerful ways, recruit and retain the best talent and the right talent, I would argue, the people who actually are there because they want to be about helping children live better lives. I mean, why wouldn't I dedicate my life to that? (laughs) And what I love about the example that JJ uses, it's having that shared mission that then unites the culture. And I, I think there is sometimes a bit too much emphasis on culture fit through values. But actually having a very simple mission like this really does embrace all sorts of diversity and inclusion because the only thing we have to agree on is that we're here to save kids, you know? And and it's just it's just it's just a wonderful example. And I think again, as all they said before, having your North Star value, sticking to that um, and looking at your your mission, your culture, your people, your customers as one as one as a whole, you know, all part of all part of each other, all intertwined. So the thing is, as a leader or business owner, you obviously want to hit certain goals. But the best leaders know that in order to get what they want, they have to say it together. They have to help their team get that what they want. In short, leaders, we need to edit our ego. Now, what's interesting is JJ did this. He didn't even talk about himself, even though he has some crazy stories. And at the end, I happened to do some research and I asked him about some of these crazy stories, but he told me why he didn't kick off with these stories. So I do have a very funny baptism. I was baptized in Kenya in a cattle trough with literally cows and Maasai warriors around me. I was on the West Wing. I was on the office. I did all those things. I didn't mention any of those things early on. And and I don't when I get up and speak because when I'm getting up to speak or I'm first being introduced on a podcast, if I start telling those stories, it might get people to like me or think I'm interesting, but it doesn't actually position me as a guide in their story. Their story is not about I can be entertaining. If the purpose of this podcast is to just be entertaining, I'll tell you the Missy Elliott story and we'll all laugh. The purpose of this podcast is not to be entertaining. It's to be a, help people be more effective in their leadership and their marketing and their growth of their business. So when I'm talking and I'm sharing pieces with you, that's what story is about. I'm actually distilling the information in a way that just positions me as a guide to help you win in that place. Now, if we want to be entertaining, yeah, I've got plenty of entertaining stories. But if we want to be effective in growth, I'm telling you about my path in learning story, working with some of the largest companies in the world, and how to do that and be effective. Such good advice there, because we all have lots of different experiences. You know, Al and I don't start our podcast launching into how we've traveled to 46 countries over the last 10 we years. Have. You know, we don't talk about about the, you know, the other things that we've done, the other jobs we've had, the, the crazy adventures we've had, because they're not relevant. That doesn't add credibility to us in, in this context, and it doesn't help us be the guide in your story. So I think this is a really great thing as well, particularly if you're interviewing, you know, thinking about how am I, why am I talking, mm-hmm. you know, and what am I saying that's actually adding value to this, this situation. I absolutely love that. And I think it's just nice to get, to have guests from a very different area, share very important lessons. And I think hopefully also just inspire some thoughts in 
particularly small business owners who might have these expertise in communications, in marketing, um, that can then start to transfer some of those skills over to people and culture. Use that curiosity you have as an entrepreneur to make your workplace an amazing place to be. Love it, love it, love it. Edit your ego. It's not about you. Stop making the story about you. Make it about your team and you'll see amazing results. All links will be in the show notes. Uh, you can also find more stuff on truthliesinwork.com. Where else, Leanne? We're on LinkedIn. We talk about this on LinkedIn. You'll be doing a post about this. You can talk to us directly on LinkedIn. I've said LinkedIn a lot now. <laughs> you can. We'll leave the links to all of our socials in the show notes, along with some of the bits and pieces we've mentioned in this episode. We will be back next week with some more cool, awesome content for you. Um, and hopefully you enjoy it as being your guide through this world of people nice. and culture. And if you really do enjoy it, consider leaving us a review. It really does help other people to find the podcast. Yep. We'll leave a link to review in the show notes. Thank you so much again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That was a dog toy. 